0: Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. We are doing this whole thing this year where we're looking at different perspectives, especially outside of your standard like MO, what you think is public safety or what you think is emergency management, because we're trying to broaden your horizons. This last uh, several weeks, I've been on this kick of Indiana. I went out to their full-scale exercise. I met up with Jessica and Jeremy, who invited me to go out there and observe. Really great stuff. Met a lot of wonderful people. As you just heard this last week, we just had uh, Chief Funkhauser on the show, and he was talking about his drones, and we were were talking about good stuff there. And then I got to meet Debbie Fletcher, the University Director of Emergency Management and Continuity, which I believe I got that director right. Okay, great. Uh, And she's going to be talking to me about Uh, The campus perspective, uh, more like an organizational or enterprise perspective, I call that dynamic populations, all that stuff of dealing with a population that is not houses, just houses, right? And, And how do you do that? And your authorities are different. Everything is different. I'm excited to talk about it. It's kind of more of my background anyways. So Debbie, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much, John. Yes. Um, we all met at the exercise last week and I know many of us were, it was three years coming. So Mm. we were very excited to, to see it come to fruition and, and, uh, get everybody through it. Uh, it was, had its challenges, but that's why you do exercises, right? (laughs) So that you can figure out what you need to do better the next time.
0: Well, you know, if, if nothing breaks in an exercise, it makes me wonder, uh, how well they like plan, like whether they plan for the break or no breaks, you know, that exercise, the exercise should identify gaps. And yes. w- what I was most impressed by was that, uh, it, honestly in Indiana, they have a really gr- good group of people. We should send them down to the Gulf coast more often, but, uh, honestly, whether there's things that happen or not, everybody started to shift when gaps were identified and that was really impressive to see. And, I'm highly convinced that in the after action, as people identify what they did well and what there's areas of improvement, uh, that's a, that's the win. And that's the win that you want in an exercise. So and, and I got to meet some cool people. So uh, it was a win for me to, to be out there and to observe for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I, I always say, you know, having been, because one of my jobs in the past was the estate exercise officer. And so mm-hmm. the most important part of an exercise is the after action and the, the improvement plan. You know, no one does everything perfectly. And so we see themes that sort of run through everything. Uh, oh, communication is always an issue. Doesn't matter what you do. And uh, we just try to, you know, to pick those things apart a little bit. And we never want to poke at one person or another. It's more of this didn't get done or that didn't get done. And it's never a failure. It's always an area for improvement. So it's a good, good, good exercise to do those periodically.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to uh, piggyback off of that and say the most important thing is the improvement plan plus implementation of those. Absolutely. (laughs) How many times I've been in exercise and everyone's like, oh yeah, we should do that. And you're like, then do it like do actually it. Do yes. it. Yeah. yeah so which is
1: the reason that you do an improvement plan and you assign the tasks that need to be done the recommendations and things like that to a person or an entity with a deadline and then someone has to you know follow it along and make sure that it gets done otherwise you're just going to do the same thing again and again and again
0: so. real quick we're going to pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400p radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400p radio at l3harris.com right now. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Think you have what it takes? Join us in Atlanta for an immersive experience. Space is limited to 40. Go to the readinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. I once had a uh I wanna call him a leader. <laughs> I once had a Uh, a person in charge of one of the teams I was on who in every after action, he was like, we're not talking about solutions today. We're just talking about the problems. And, and anytime (laughs) I know, Oh (laughs) Oh, no, just cringed. you know, we're all emergency managers. We're like, I'm a problem solver by trade. Like this is, this is ridiculous. And like, he always just like one of like these existential, like whatever, and I think he would like combine like, like a disaster hot wash of like trying to make sure like everybody was like mentally fit, physically mm-hmm. fit, with like an after action report, which are two different things. Absolutely. And I just think he just never got it, and so like it it drove me nuts. Uh, since then, I I think he's either learned or the the team replaced him. So it was um, it's just kind of funny like where people, um. You know, we all do this. Like I I always say training, but I really mean training and exercises, which are two different things. Yes. So I I guess I guess we all have our pain points, but
1: yes, we do. uh,
0: So let's talk about. So interestingly enough, actually, before we get into Indiana University, uh, state training exercise, is that what you said?
1: It was a state exercise officer. So, yes,
0: as a state exercise officer going into a training that's been prepared for three years is it really hard for you to be hypercritical uh, or not be hypercritical? Or do you just go with the flow? Cause you've done it so many times. Uh, you know, I find myself Always
1: hypercritical. I mean, you mentioned, you know, we go into emergency management cause we're problem solvers, right? Where most yeah. of us are type a and uh, when you do an exercise and you spend so much time trying to get it right. And mm-hmm. then something maybe doesn't go exactly on time or the person doesn't or the entity doesn't do what you think they're supposed to do, or they said they would do, then you're just like, wow, what did we do wrong? Or how did we, you know, how could we have fixed it? And we've been calming Jess for the last few days because (laughs) she was definitely the hypercritical on that side of it. Uh, Because, you know, we, we have a certain thing in our mind as to what this is going to look like. And when it doesn't look exactly like that, then we feel like there's something we should have done to anticipate this issue uh, or that issue. And and you can't, as soon as you put, we can write all sorts of perfect things down, but as soon as you put the humans to work, you, you start getting, you know, some challenges that appear always.
0: I I like to tell people that every problem that we have in this world is a man-made problem.
1: It is absolutely.
0: (laughs) And it's like, And yet that's why you have the exercises because you need to identify those gaps in competency, in, um, in training, in, um, skill sets and what people are really good at. I have been in exercises in the past where, um, you know, people really stood out in other areas that weren't really identified before. And we learned that, Hey, like this person be really great in this role in a, in a full activation. And so like, it's just, um, It's just an opportunity. Jess is uh, definitely passionate, definitely type A. Um, But like I said, it's the ability to adjust, and she adjusted like everybody else. And like I said, there was really good elements as well. And funny enough, um, I don't know if this is like a good call out or not, but um, the registration team, the people who were like sending out the emails before and logging people in, I actually thought they were phenomenal. I was like, I take you to a type one disaster right now, 26,000 federal employees showing up, and I think you could handle it. I was really impressed. You know, some of that registration stuff is uh, sometimes overlooked, but that's really the foundation of making sure the key players are there, that there's no like outside distractions in that process. And so Indiana registration team, uh, very impressed with you. and and what you did. And and thank you again for inviting me out. So, okay, let's move on to our our main area of focus here is campus emergency management, totally different. You don't really, you don't act under the Stafford Act, obviously. Correct. Your, your authorities really only stem from delegation of authorities from university leadership, if they want to delegate that. And there's, there's definitely different priorities in place. So, just for those emergency managers whose uh, career set has been focused so heavily on government, can you kind of give an overview of the differences between government and campus style emergency management?
1: Certainly. So we definitely the our different campuses, we actually sort of have a a very a variety of. The ways that we do emergency management because we have regional campuses which have very small numbers on them a few thousand students who don't live there right and so they are around for the daytime they may have evening classes but for the most part they are really just there during the day. Uh, So Mm. we care about the campus. We may have research labs, which means there's things going on 24-7, but may not be people there all the time. So Mm. they're a little bit different in the fact that we have to maintain, like last night, we had some severe weather up north. They had a tornado warning. Uh, Mm. So we were monitoring the weather, doing what all emergency managers do, no matter where they are, and making sure that after the tornado warning had, you know, had expired, we checked the campus, made sure all the buildings were fine, were ready to go, and and all of that. Uh, that we do everywhere. Down in Bloomington, it's that's our largest campus with the most residents. We typically have 12 to 16,000 residents who actually live on our campus during the school year. Summertime, it's obviously much less. Most of those students are. Or go home during that time frame, uh, but we do have married students. We have graduate and PhD students who do go to school all year round, and so they're there. Uh, the Bloomington campus is very much a city in a city, and because we double the population of Bloom, yeah. the city of Bloomington, Indiana, when we put all of the students there, because our population is typ- enrollments typically around forty to forty-two thousand. Um, okay. And again, twelve thousand or so of them actually physically live on the campus. The rest of them live in the community surrounding that campus. And then you have faculty and and staff. So the Bloomington campus specifically, we have our own. Uh, you know, we we share the water for the county. You know, we we get our our. Uh, heat and energy from, you know, from the external, we don't create it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, you know, obviously consume it. But we have our own facility operations when it snows, our folks clear the roads, our folks, mm-hmm. you know, prick up the snow shovels and clear the sidewalks, they do those types of things. Um, and so a lot of this stuff is similar, because I did come from, my job, my first job in emergency management was with Marion County Emergency Management, so the city of Indianapolis. Oh, so okay. I've done the government emergency management, and yep. this is different in the fact that, as you said, we're not a we're not a government entity, so we don't have the jurisdiction, we don't have the authority vested in us by the stat, state statute. Uh, we are IU specifically is a state university, so we are a quasi state organization, yeah. and, which means we can do some things on our own. So we're working on the public assistance application for COVID. We can submit our own application because of that status. Uh, we right. don't have to go through the county to do it, right? And so that's there's a little bit of a difference in that situation. Uh, we were able to get care money through COVID uh, where a, you know a private university wouldn't be able to. Those types of things are a little bit different as well. Um, But being the university director, so I was with IU for six years as a director for the Bloomington campus. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do a lot of special events. So we do a little bit more than some county EMAs do when it comes to special events. I used to work, you know, a Colts game now and again, but we work every football game down in Bloomington, every basketball game any large scale event, we're there. And, you know, we like to say that for emergency management, a boring day is a good day, right? (laughs) If it's exciting, that means something bad is happening and we have to actually do a lot of stuff. And so, you know, if it's a boring day and all I'm doing is watching football, um, I would like for them to be winning that football game. But, you know, at the end, if the worst disasters they lose, I'm okay with that. Uh, Mm. So just thinking about, but we still have to collaborate, right? We still have to be connected with our county EMA. We have to be connected with the state. Uh, Most everybody that is here at IU in my emergency management department has somehow worked with the state or the county in the county level as an emergency manager. So we all have a a kind of a broad perspective of what we need to do. Um, I think the biggest change or the biggest kind of difference is when when you're in a county or even at a state or the federal government level, most of the people you work with are in public safety too. They speak the language right? They know what an IAP is, they or incident action plan. Mm-hmm. They know what, you know, This the comprehensive emergency management plan is. They know what you're talking about when you're using 15 acronyms in the same sentence, right? Yep. Um, if you're talking to someone in academia, um, and our provosts and our chancellors and a lot of the folks on our policy groups, things like that, are not in this. They don't do it for a living. And so you have to spend time when you start working with them in teaching them what you're talking about. Like why do I care? Uh, and the old the provost who was before this most recent one um, told me, you know, I was saying I want to do like a newsletter and put out things about being prepared and and go kit and all of the things that we like to do for outreach, mm. and she's like, "I'd be really scared to have you do that because all you ever talk about is bad stuff." And I'm like, <laughs> "No, no, <laughs> i I want people to be ready in case the bad stuff happens, uh, mm. but I'm not trying to be, you know, as we say, Debbie Downer or anything. Debbie I would just like, Downer. oh no, yes, Debbie Downer. It works for me since <laughs> my name is Debbie, but no. um, just keeping you know, keeping people, you have to teach them. It takes time to get them there. And sometimes you, your people change at the leadership level, which I know all of our county EMAs deal with county commissioners changing every two to three to four years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the state level, you've got governors that change, which means your staff changes potentially. And most EMA directors are appointed uh, by council or by, you know, by them. They may be hired as merit, but they come in and are you know, given that position by appointment. And so that means they have to teach all of those new people all of the things that they need, uh, you know, when when something bad goes. Because we need to know that they know when I call, I'm typically not just calling to see how they're doing. I'm calling because something is going on and I need a decision or I need to give them a heads up that this bad thing is going to, is on its way or has already happened.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh I'm just going to pause you real quick because it, you named about 40 different topics. We got to have you on for like a 40 part episode here. Okay. <laughs> um, you, you named so many really great things. And, and that's a, it's a kind of a perfect overview of like, there's, there's some crossover, but there's definitely differences and messaging is an issue and uh, academia and or the stakeholders who are involved. They have a different perspective. Uh, at least in my experience, it's usually been like the cost benefit analysis of uh, making sure this works like doomsday versus like reality and trying to match those two worlds together. Um, Interestingly enough, Doberman uh, the company that I work with uh, you know, we're working with several universities right now. Uh, One university while we were writing the emergency operations plan uh, the uh, EM director gives me a call and says, Hey, uh, we just had a, a plant blow up down the road. We're trying to figure out how to evacuate. Can you give us some, uh, some guidance here? and so i quickly ran through like the checklist of like okay this is did you check out when did you tell you know what are your first responders saying like just going down the list and uh, essentially we got their uh, executive policy group together and uh luckily for him uh he's doing the right stuff and so they he had that buy-in and so the president just turned to him and said should we evacuate and he said yes and they evacuated the campus and they had the right messaging in play But that really comes down through a process of stakeholder involvement, understanding academia. And uh, it it is funny when you're like, hey, every time we do a training, um, you know, telling me about the bad stuff. It's like, well, I don't want the bad stuff to happen. This is why we're doing this. Right. Um, and And I
1: want us to know what to do when it does. Right, because yeah. it's not a, it's not a, you know, and if it's going to happen, it's a when it's going to happen. Yes. And in Indiana, anyway, we don't get a lot of notice uh, when something is is potential, right? Hey, if you're we t-
0: tornadoes, right? I mean, yeah, that's...
1: exactly. Had a tornado warning last night. Uh, potential for straight line winds. They had 98 mile an hour winds hit Fort Wayne, Jeez. and so you know that was, and it wasn't a tornado, a straight line. Yeah. It uh, really but crazy. it it still does the damage, and so we just don't get. It's not like a hurricane where you get a week or So to kind of figure it out, right. And try to try to get people out and people are well-trained in let's get out let's go where we got to go. Uh, you know, for folks in Florida who get hurricanes all the time, I mean, they have friends who are, hu- they hurricane friends and they go hang at the shelter with their hurricane friends during hurricane. We don't have that. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, we, we get, a we don't get a lot of notice before things happen. So we have to be able to make a decision fast. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what our job as emergency managers are, is to get our executives to know, that when I call, I need them to be able to make a decision. I will give them the question. They just need to make, to give a, give me an answer. And we can't, you know, we, years ago, when I first started, this was new to everyone. And we had a snowstorm coming in and we were deciding, they were deciding whether, and as an emergency manager, I don't, I'm not in control, right? I'm not in command. I recommend, I give guidance, but they make the decision because they have the authority to do so. And, um, we were trying to make this decision about when we were going to send people home, cancel classes, do things. It took them two hours to figure out what they were going to say, when they were going to do it. By that time, the snow's here. So we (laughs) sort of missed our window of opportunity. Um, And we're much better about that now. We've had conversations after that. We have a meeting, you know, we just got a new provost in Bloomington. We've had a meeting with them and said, this is what we're going to do. If we know we're going to have, we're going to give you an update as often as we can so that we can have you poised and ready to make a decision. Uh, and so, you know, if we do our job, then they can do their job quickly and with some authority.
0: So uh, there, I know there's some emergency managers out there right now thinking, yeah, but I don't get that buy-in or yeah, but I don't have, I don't have, you know, we, I was at a, and i talked about this before on the show about, um, working at the largest healthcare system in the United States, uh, the National Cancer Institute, which is like half of NIH's campus. And they hired five people to work on emergency management, whether it was uh, physical security or emergency uh, operations or coordination, whatever it may be. There's five positions. And we weren't getting anything through. But they, they just saw us as doomsday preppers. I mean, they even told us that, like, you're just doomsday preppers. And it like irked me because like I'm I'm pretty data driven. And um, the story that like the my famous story is that I build an augmented reality sandbox. And so I won't go into details of what that is for the show. But basically, it's a a thing for an Earth Day event. Remove the sand and there's a changes color and stuff. And the director brings his son uh, and daughter. And they we basically were their babysitters like all day. They were just like playing in this uh, sandbox and watching the things change. And we were explaining of like, hey, you want to build buildings in better locations, you know, so you don't have flooding events. We practiced flooding. And uh, I still remember that day. He was like, so like you really do care like about data. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, we're just like not making this stuff up. And uh, it like put a fire under me to do like hazard vulnerability assessments that were really data driven. That bringing in all the experts, and this was, I don't know, ten over ten years ago now, and uh, you know, lo and behold, all my projects started being approved just because they thought they they these acad- academics, you know, PhDs realized that we were thinking logically. Now, the the messaging problem. I'm talking too much here, but like the messaging problem comes when. We we recognize that not every hazard is priority one, right? But sometimes we make it sound like every hazard's priority one, and uh, you know, just like pulling that back. So for those emergency managers, uh, who don't necessarily maybe have that buy-in, and so and and you all clearly do, and you've been working through that system. What advice could you give of helping to get buy-in from your own experiences?
1: I think what you did the, where you actually showed them based on data, right? You didn't make up, it wasn't a scenario you just made up. This was something that actually could happen, has happened, that type of thing is a big deal because we do spend a lot of time trying to you know, tell people about things that may not happen some way, we've got to be prepared. We want to spend money. You know, one of the, they joked when I first started working with special events about the fact that every time I walked in the room, I spent money for them or I spent their money Mm. because I'm like, we need cameras. We need this. We need that because it's to hopefully avoid, to mitigate against this next disaster, this whatever. And, and so I do think showing them especially and getting to them at their level. So you addressed it with someone on a data-driven, you know, with facts, Um, and those were people who absorbed that. Some people, data just goes right by them, so you (laughs) need to show them pictures, or you need to have someone come in and say, this is what happened to me at my Mm -hmm. campus, or whatever, and something we think about heavily is, well, human, you know, the, the human cost of anything is what we want to avoid. Um, so life safety is always number one, and we will spend the money it takes to keep people alive and safe. Um, it, it also, we have to think about reputation, right? Because we are in the business of providing an education for for people. And mm-hmm. if we are thought to be not a safe place or something like that, then that becomes an issue for us and our being able to stay around. So That's
0: great. continuity. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so I do think that you have to meet them on their level. You have to talk to them with what it takes. And it and the less the fewer barriers between or levels between you as an emergency manager and the top person, the better you are. Yes. Uh, something that has happened with one of our local you know police departments, not in Bloomington but in the state of Indiana is that they became a part of the police department. So instead of a standalone agency where our director could talk directly to the mayor, They had to go through an emergency management director to operations, to chief, to, you know. And so they were four or five layers deep, which means in an emergency, you got to talk to 15 people before you get to the person who makes the decision, that's That's hard. Yeah, Yeah. and you're never going to get the buy-in if you have so many layers, but that's a challenge you may not be able to overcome. And so, you know, while I don't ever want to set somebody up to fail, I would do a tabletop or a seminar with the people at the top and make it a bad day right and just say what are you going to do what happened what are you going to do because everyone's looking to you president or everyone's looking to you mayor or commissioner or whatever to fix this problem and how are you going to fix it Um, and if you know and if you can give them some solutions then and give them some options and say well we have a plan and we're training our people to do this plan then you know, all we're going to ask you, to, do, we're going to fix it for you. Right. We're going to take care yeah. of it. That's what our job is. Uh, and so it's it's getting the person to hear you um, and to understand that you that you need it. And it can take a while. You know, When I first started, someone said, oh, it's going to take about three years for them to really, you know, hear you and implement the things that you want to do. I came to the conclusion it was more like dog years um, because things don't move fast anywhere in government or in, in higher education, Mm. but you do make, you do make strides. They now call us. We're now at events. We now do. Right. And so Mm. that's something that is important. You want to be seen. You don't want to be the guy in the basement. Um, And there's a book, you know, I don't, I hate to you know, advertise a book, but there's a book Please. called Five Days at Memorial, and it's um, about Memorial Hospital in in, oh, yeah. in, in New Orleans. Yeah. And um, one of the things they talk about was preliminarily, the emergency managers were considered, how'd they say it, earnest basement dwelling emergency managers, right? <laughs> and so, because nobody wanted to talk to them, because all they were talking about was you need a generator, and you need to have a plan, and you need to have all the things and then when they didn't have them they you know they hadn't listened they were like oh gosh you know we don't have power and all of these people are sick and dying and and everything else and so while we don't want to scare people we also need to make people aware that these things can happen and will happen and if we have a plan for them then we can take action faster and in a more accurate way to make to hopefully keep people from dying um, or to lessen the impact of this incident, you know, any of those things. And, you know, for all of the emergency managers out there, we know the five phases or the four phases of emergency management, the five mission areas, all of that kind of stuff. Each one of them has, you know, a, very important. And while we spend most of our time thinking about response, everything we do prior to that hopefully will shrink that phase to nothing right it'll take so no, so little time to respond because we've mitigated against it we've prepared people so they knew to get out of town right they they listen to evacuation orders those kinds of things so the work we do day to day while not maybe not fun is more important than what we do when something happens in a lot of ways
0: this is uh, this is the moment in the show where i know i have one listener specifically who emails me every time we we start talking about this topic but I agree with you hundred percent when we were coming up with like this mantra of the business and this podcast name, you know, I, I'm, I'm tired and I've said this so many times and I hope it, I'm hope I'm just beating it into people's heads at this point. Everybody aims for quote resiliency, mm-hmm. the ability to bounce back. I want to aim for reducing response and the need for response. Yes. I really think like mitigation should be king or queen. But yes. the problem is we, the way that a lot of, like the way that HMP, the hazard mitigation plans are written uh, specifically for FEMA grants, the the way that we look at mitigation often is after in the recovery phase. Yeah. Cause that's so where the money is. That's exactly where the money is. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, uh, my, my other thought is, it's called emergency management. You'll never take emergency out of it, but your whole focus should be reducing the emergency. So it's about making tough decisions, being strong enough to being you know, forward-leaning enough where you don't have these problems. But I also think it's unrealistic uh, to assume that you can stop everything. And I think it's unrealistic to think that people have the budget to stop everything. Right. I have met uh, <laughs> very rarely, to be honest, politicians who actually do want to do the right thing. But when they look at the priority of a disaster and they look at the priority of education, they look at the priority of the, fixing that road and they look at the priority and it's like, okay, you can either tax the heck out of people or do the right, you know, which one is the priority one in that day. And, uh, and the same thing with every organization, you know, uh, sometimes we have to figure out with what we have, what, what can, what is the best scenario for what we have? And how do we move that needle just a little bit further? I, I don't like the the hope that there's no not going to be a problem solution. I like the planning process, bringing in stakeholders, reducing that decision-making uh, time. And and quite frankly, I feel very uh, poorly, very bad for uh, your friend out there who has to jump through so many hoops. Because that just takes away the, the, the main mission of coordination, which yeah. is the job. So... Uh, Absolutely. We need to address all those things. Um Man, yeah, we, we,
1: we really do. And hours. we can, yeah. yeah, we can, you know, I was told my very first day in emergency management that we were responsible for everything and in charge of nothing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I mean, it, anybody that's, that's an so emergency true. manager knows that's true. I don't have a lot yeah. of resources, right? I don't have fire trucks and police cars and and the yeah. things that I can throw at something after it happens. So my strength are the net, is the networking I do and the relationships I build and being seen. And I used to do a lot of outreach when I was with Marion County and a lot of it, my first question usually was, you know, how many of you in this room of 300 or whatever knew we had an emergency management agency in the county? You know, mm-hmm. and one person, usually the person who asked me to come speak, was the one who raised their hand and said, oh, I did. Um, and only because I heard you speak at the last place I was or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so every county in, the, in Indiana has an emergency manager, um, has an emergency management agency. By state statute, we're required to. And so they may be part- time. Um, they may be, you know a lot of times we see firefighters that are part time, so Just the two days they're not working, time. yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh, but they do find if when they're if they're doing it right and trying to do it right, you can't do it part time, not to right. do all the things that have to happen in advance. And so I agree with you, mitigation is probably if we can mitigate doesn't mean we avoid it completely, but if we can soften the blow, and maybe, you know, get people out of the way, because again, life safety is number one, then we're winning. That's a successful, you know, situation. Mm. And so I always think of mitigation as more things to do, tasks, uh, where preparedness is the human side, right? We train, we exercise, we plan, um, you know, all of those types of things. And, And there's a, you know, phrase out there that says, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, um, and, but a plan is only as good as the people who wrote it. So writing it in a, in a vacuum is never the way to do it. You've got to get people on board. And sometimes it means you got to scare them a minute to be able to make them realize in a, in a no fault environment, right? Nobody's dying today, um, but that we want to have, we want to get them to realize that this is important. And when we speak, you need to listen because we're not trying to be, you know, we're not trying to catastrophize everything. Um, but we do want to try to keep people safe. And the only way to do that is to make sure we're prepared when something does occur.
0: Debbie, thank you so much for coming on the show, for staying a little bit longer and talking to me about this this critical issue. I hope that we can instill uh, human answers, human solutions for human problems. I also hope that uh, Ohio State continues to crush uh, (laughs) Indiana University. Thanks a lot. uh, Collaboration. (laughs) Uh, there you go yeah getting along so go big 10 uh okay so for all those people who've been listening to this episode you should have gotten something out of this whether it's about active shooters or thinking about how campuses are are different and uh those skill sets of of coordination and collaboration which we hit on a lot today and and the different nuances of all the responsibility and know the authority if you had all the responsibility and none of the authority what would you do if you want to know a little bit more about that, we have again we've been talking about this for the last couple months. Emergency management response for dynamic populations. This course that's coming up in August. It's all about this: an attack at a stadium. What are you going to do? Again, if you think you should uh, learn a little bit more about this, which you should, come check out that training in August. If you got something out of this episode, or if you have a question about you know what we talked about today, put it in one of our social media channels so that Debbie or one of us can respond reach out to the community and we hope you stay safe. We hope you stay healthy and we'll see you for the next week.